Welcome to the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jackie Forsyth, and also co-founder of the network. The purpose of the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network is to grow, strengthen, and promote research on women in sport and exercise with the ultimate goal of optimizing women's athletic success and their participation. With these podcasts, we wish to bring you information from leading academics who are researching about women in sport and exercise and provide you with advice and support for the exercising female. Please remember our disclaimer that the opinions, content and recommendations contained within our podcast are for general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, treatment or diagnosis. In this podcast, I speak to Dr. Glenn Davison and Dr. Judith Olgrove about their research and activities associated with the immune system. Judith is a senior lecturer in human physiology at Kingston University. Judith's principal research interests lie in exercise-induced stress, the immune response and nutritional interventions among men and women. She is also interested in the study of markers of cardiovascular and type 2 diabetes risk, particularly in relation to exercise and nutrition. Glenn Davison is a reader and director of research in the School of Sport and Exercise Sciences at the University of Kent. Glenn has worked with amateur, elite and professional athletes from a whole range of different sports. Glenn's research interests include nutrition and exercise immunology, interval training and strategies to maintain optimal health and performance in athletes. I've got here with me Glenn and Judith. Thanks both for coming. Hello. Thanks for having us. So both of you wrote a chapter in our book, The Exercising Female, and I would really encourage everybody to look at this chapter because it's got a fascinating amount of research and information in there. So in fact, could we just talk a little bit about that? So give us a really general introduction about immune function and what we kind of need to know as people who exercise. So yeah, the, the immune system is, is responsible um, for a number of functions within the body, but the main one is protecting us against illness and infection. Um, so, so keeping us well. Um, and we know that the immune system and, and how well it actually works at doing that job can be influenced by lots of factors and, and exercise is one of those factors. Um, so we know that certain amount of, amounts of exercise are really beneficial and enhance the immune system and therefore reduce the risks of getting ill. But in athletes who have to train very intensively, um, that can put certain stress on the body and it can cause um, short-term reductions in how well the immune system functions, which can, for short periods of time, increase their risk of getting ill and, and picking up infections, which could have a um, negative consequence on their performance um, or their training. And Judith, you had some ideas about how males and females might be different in terms of their immune function and immune response. Is that right? Um, yeah, so, I mean, if we look at the, the differences between men and women at rest in the general population, what we tend to find is that the females have a, a more active immune system. So they have a stronger sort of innate and adaptive immune response. Um, and that tends to be particularly during the reproductive years. 
So we can kind of associate that to sort of differences in probably the sex hormones. And what you see when you try to relate that to sort of illness incidents is that the females tend to be less susceptible to things like respiratory diseases, um, viral and some bacterial infection. But um, they also tend to be more susceptible to autoimmune diseases. So that's what we tend to see um, in sort of the general population at rest when they're not exercising. In terms of the effect of exercise um, itself on, on the immune system, I mean, it's it's quite a, a small area of research currently, and there's not that much research that has been done. But what we tend to see, again, particularly in um, acute exercise, what we find is that during an acute bout of exercise, so if the, the females do um, one session of exercise, again, they seem to have sort of a greater or enhanced immune response to the exercise. So that we know that exercise can generate immune response and that seems to be higher in females compared with men and again that seems to be sort of during the reproductive years but in contrast to that um, what we can find during chronic training so regular exercise is that some studies have looked at the response of sort of intensified training and, and regular exercise and we did a study a few years back now looking at mucosal immunity which the principal antibody is immunoglobulin A, and that's considered the first line of defence against invading uh, pathogens. Um, and that was studied sort of over a period of several months. And what was found there was actually there was a strikingly lower um, level of immunity in the females compared with the males. And this was done in a group of swimmers. Obviously, when I read the chapter, I got an idea that there was probably not that much research that had specifically been done on females and the effect of different hormones. If you were to give somebody then advice on what they could do in terms of research in this area, what kind of things need to be done to strengthen our knowledge? Yeah. So, as I said, there's there's limited research looking at different immune parameters in female athletes. So a lot of the research has targeted just one or two markers of immune function. So looking at sort of an array of markers in, in female athletes and looking at them over a period of time. So during chronic exercise training would be useful. And then actually to try to determine whether they are associated with things like respiratory illness or not, so whether they have any sort of clinical relevance. So there was one study that was done in endurance athletes over a period of, of four months. And what they found was, again, a lower level of immune function, um, specifically immunoglobulin A, again, in females, but that didn't relate to any difference in respiratory illness. So there didn't appear to be a difference um, in that study. But there was another study that was done um, it's an epidemiological study, actually, very recently, looking at big groups of athletes studied at major international games and tournaments. And that was a short duration, sort of four week period. Um, what they found, there was about six to seven percent of the athletes reporting illness symptoms. And that was quite consistently higher in the females. So in this very large study, they did seem to find a difference where it was higher in the females compared with the males, which seems to contrast with the evidence that we see in the general population where women appear to be more resistant to the infections. So there may be a result that may be a result of the sex hormones or the biological difference, or it could be something related to environmental or behavioural factors.
Um, Glenn, have you got any ideas on this in terms of research that still needs to be done or any advice or anything that you've done that can supplement what Judith just said? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, on the on the point about the um, major competition research that Judith mentioned where the illness incidence was, was higher in, in females, as is often the case um, and unfortunately we can only really speculate on the on the reasons for that because there's the research just simply hasn't been done and there's a massive gap in, in the research there that that needs um i guess needs to be filled so we can only really speculate but one of the things that we do know is that in the early and mid luteal phase um, of the menstrual cycle so this is the time when um, progesterone is is highest that's when I guess in females immune defenses seem to be lower and, and their risk seems to be higher compared to the sort of follicular phase. So what's often missing in in other in previous research is that they don't necessarily account for phase of the menstrual cycle. So a lot of the research that has compared male males to females has has not taken into account the phase of the menstrual cycle that females might be in. Yeah, so another thing that is related to that is oral contraceptive use. So in most of the studies, they haven't necessarily taken that into account, but it could be, so for example, for most of the um, oral contraceptives, they tend to increase progesterone and some of them have, you know, estrogen in them as well. But basically they would tend to make the hormonal environment um, more like the mid luteal phase, which is a time when theoretically the risk of illness is higher. So it could be, again, this is complete speculation, but it could be that one of the explanations for the um, major championships finding is that maybe more females were altering their oral contraceptive use to try and avoid having a, a period during the competition and maybe that changed their hormonal profile and, and influenced their risk of getting ill during the study. But it's it's unfortunately that is complete speculation. The studies haven't actually been done. And so if, if I could answer the question about what research that I think needs to be done, first of all, more research with females, that's the first step. But a big limitation that I um, feel there is with the research that has been done where they've got females and males and the very few studies that have tried to compare males to females is they often well the, the a big mistake that they sometimes make is they don't even take a um, menstrual cycle phase into account so they just don't control it at all so there's, it's a it's a lottery as to which phase you're, you're going to be assessing the females in so the first thing is definitely take account of phase of the menstrual cycle and oral contraceptive use and the other thing that they often try to do is the studies that try to take account of menstrual cycle phase, they always try to time it so that the females are being tested at a time when um, many of the hormones that influence immune function are low. So in some respect, they're trying to control the hormonal environment to make it more similar to males. So they try to pick a time, um, you know, maybe sort of late luteal phase or something like that when progesterone and estrogen levels are both low. 
and they just use that one single time point and then make a comparison between males and females and then make a conclusion about whether or not there's a difference between males and females. So I think to really advance this area of our field, people need to study females at all phases of the menstrual cycle. So Judith, um, I know you're doing some research more recently about risk factors for diseases like diabetes, chronic heart disease. Can you explain a little bit more about that in terms of the immune system? Um, yeah, so what we're looking at, what we're interested in looking at currently, yeah, is, is the, the relationship between exercise and risk factors for cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes and looking um, at the role of things like inflammation and sort of metabolic markers. So we know that exercise can be pro-inflammatory, but also anti-inflammatory. The inflammation has, has been related or to sort of can be quite damaging um, in the body and can be related to sort of um, cardiovascular um, issues and problems. And so what we're interested in to see is how exercise may, might have an anti-inflammatory effect, and um, particularly in different groups and ethnic populations such as South Asians, because South Asians tend to have an increased um, risk of type 2 diabetes cardiovascular disease. So we're interested to see how exercise and maybe nutrition may affect that inflammatory response and metabolic response. So as well, Glenn, um, I think you you are also interested in nutritional strategies. And Judith, you've just mentioned that. I mean, you first started talking about how exercise can have an anti-inflammatory effect. But Glenn, is there any nutritional strategies that could be tied up with immune response? and that maybe that women could benefit from in terms of boosting our immune system? Yeah, definitely. With regards to athletes and, and individuals who have a, a very high training load, I think the best recommendation that I could give, and it sounds obvious, is to avoid nutritional deficiencies. Um, it sounds obvious, but it's in athletes, it, it's sometimes easier said than done. To, to make sure that they are having an adequate diet, taking into account their, their needs, because if they've got a very high training load, they will have a very high energy and nutrient requirement. And sometimes it can be really difficult to, to meet that requirement. So if you have a, a nutritional deficiency, um, and that could be in anything from total energy intake or from any of the particular macronutrients, so carbohydrate or protein, or even from certain fats down to the micronutrients, so key vitamins and key minerals. If you're not getting enough of those in the diet, then it's going to have a negative impact on how well the immune system functions and therefore the, the risk of picking up illnesses. So I guess the most pragmatic recommendation I could give is to make sure that the diet is appropriate for the sport and for the training that the individual is doing. One of the things that we do know is that nutritional deficiencies are a lot more common in certain groups of athletes and the proportions seem to be higher in certain groups of sports and certain groups of athletes and certain groups of female athletes in particular. So the, I guess the, the biggest ones are the weight captain sports, and endurance sports, so long distance running, um, triathlon in particular, where a low body mass is perceived as being beneficial, not necessarily always true, um, and low body fat is perceived as being beneficial. And we tend to see a higher prevalence of deficiencies 
in energy um, and deficiencies in, in certain micronutrients that we know are really important for immune function. So the key recommendation is to make sure that general nutritional intake is at least meeting the demands for their, their training and their sport. And Glenn, you've done a bit of research, I believe, on supplements. Is there any supplements then in that case you can also recommend? Yeah, and again, the key thing with supplements or the thing that I would say about supplements is they they should never be the go-to um, because they are just like the, the top of the pyramid, I guess, which are kind of there for fine-tuning. Um, and first of all, you have to sort out the diet. So there's no point in going to supplements if you haven't already got a healthy and balanced diet that's providing all of the energy and all of the nutrients that you need. And if that is the case, and if if the athlete is getting everything they need from their diet, then it might be acceptable to, to start to look at and, and consider supplements. There are some supplements, although there are very few, where there is reasonably strong evidence that taking these supplements in addition or on top of a healthy and balanced diet can actually add some some further benefits to the immune system and therefore reduce the risk of athletes getting ill um, and therefore missing training days or having compromised performance and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, not a lot of this research has been done specifically on females or comparing males to females. Um, there's been a few studies where they've looked at males and females together, but very few of them have, have separated the males and females. The types of supplements or, or kind of nutritional practices um, for which there is reasonably good evidence are things like probiotics and certain types of polyphenol substances. So these are substances that you often find naturally in fruits and vegetables and things which are usually sort of bright in colour, so like red grapes and things like that. But the the amounts that they take in these supplemental studies are, are much higher than you would be able to get naturally from a diet. And in some of these studies, they found that they do reduce the risk of illness. And in most of the studies where they've had males and females, they've tended to um, not really see a difference between the males and females. There's a couple of exceptions to that. The, the, the key one is, is actually probiotics. There's a lot of research showing that they are beneficial and they reduce the risk of illness. Unfortunately, there is one study from a few years ago that showed that that benefit was actually less um, apparent in females. So the benefits that the on average you see from probiotics weren't happening so, so much with females who were taking these probiotics. On the other hand, however, there's been a number of other studies that have shown no difference between males and females when they when they supplement with probiotics. Um, but in, again, this is another huge gap in the in the research where there's a lot of um, supplementation studies with males only. There's quite a few with males and females, but there's very few um, where they've actually made that direct comparison between males and females. So that's another area um, where I'd like to see a lot more research in the in the coming years. Glenn, while we're still on nutrition, I believe you've done some research on the effects of caffeine, where you're looking at genetic variations, but also differences, again, between males and females. Have you got any initial findings or observations from this piece of research that you're doing? So this is a this is a ongoing project and, and we're, we're in the sort of relatively early stages of that. Um, so I haven't got any any data yet comparing males to females because we've only had a few people 
complete the study so far. Uh, but with regards to caffeine, caffeine is a, a very popular supplement that's used by athletes more for enhancing performance. Um, but the reason why I'm interested in it is because there is some evidence showing that it, it also influences the immune response and um, or the immune response to exercise specifically. There is two potential effects that caffeine could have on the immune system. So one of those effects could be beneficial to the immunity and could reduce the risk of in illness. And the other effect could be negative. And which way it goes, so that whether the balance is positive or negative, really depends on the type of exercise. So if it's moderate intensity exercise, then the effects that caffeine have would more likely be beneficial to immunity. If it's very intensive and demanding exercise, then the effects of caffeine would possibly be negative and exacerbate some of the changes to Im immune function that are caused by that exercise. So that's kind of why I'm interested in caffeine, because there is some evidence to show that it influences the immune system. But what's really interesting and topical at the moment is we know that there's a lot of variability in how people respond to caffeine. And some of that variability we believe is because of genetic variations. So polymorphisms in particular genes um, that are related to um, either metabolizing caffeine or how caffeine influences various functions within the body. And there's been some research to suggest that these genetic variations will influence how caffeine affects performance. Um, but what we haven't yet seen is whether these variations influence how caffeine influences the immune system. So that's what I'm currently working on. And within that study, we are also recruiting, we're recruiting both males and females, and we're hoping to get enough in both of those groups to be able to make a comparison between males and females. So excellent. If people want to get involved in your study, they should contact you directly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and that's really interesting because you think there's so much research that's been done on caffeine already, but to find that there are still gaps in that research is really quite interesting. I, I could just add, though, actually, what I wanted to say we were talking about nutritional um, sort of strategies, but it might be worth mentioning sort of general strategies to try to minimise risk of infection for athletes. So I was just going to add, really, that, you know, in addition to sort of what nutrition can do, um, it's important that sort of the female athletes think about minimising their risk in general. So by doing that, I mean looking at sort of their training, maybe trying to periodise their training or to ensure that they've got sort of enough recovery to, to try to sort of prevent some of the, the high stress hormone responses that might have a negative effect on their immune system. And it also sort of the key thing here really is, is limiting exposure to the um, infectious agents. So making sure that they limit exposure to these by you know, shaking hands, or touching surfaces that might already be affected or sharing drinks, bottles, and things like that. Um, so one of the key things really is limiting their exposure and also um, trying to reduce things like psychological stress that they might have um, as a result of training selection, sponsorship deals and competition and ensuring that they get enough sleep as well. As we know that sleep deprivation again can sort of exacerbate the, the stress hormone response, which again could have a negative impact in, on their immune system. So there's lots of sort of practical things that they can do to try to help minimise the risk um, of infection in these athletes. 
excellent advice, Judith. Is there anything else that you would like to mention? I guess on the last point that Judith made, that's an excellent point about um, minimising the risks as much as possible. Um, the, the one thing that I would add to that is if the athlete knows the times when they are most at risk or if they know times when their immune system is most reduced, that's the time when that becomes most important. Some of the strategies to minimise exposure are easy to do um, and some of them are really difficult to do. But if they can pay really close attention to doing as many of them as they can at the times when they know they're most at risk. So that would be, for example, during an intensified training period or in the few hours after a very prolonged training session. For me, they are the, the, the key danger times. Um, and, and that's the times when th those strategies that Judith suggested are even more important. And even presumably in different phases of the menstrual cycle then in that case. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would definitely agree with that. I, and, and also oral contraceptive use. Both Glenn, Judith, thanks very much for chatting with me today. I've learned so much. There's obviously so much that still needs to be done and you're both extremely knowledgeable in this area. So many thanks for talking today. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having us.